Over the last seven years, I have tried every kind of marketing you can possibly imagine for my business. And I have determined over that time that direct mail has been by far the most profitable marketing channel I have ever tried. And I've spent over a million dollars just testing it out figuring out what works and figuring out what doesn't. And through that time, I've been able to generate over 100 deals per year in my business using direct mail. And now I've created a very small but very powerful mini course on how I utilize direct mail in my business. It explains everything I do from A to Z, and I've made this available to you absolutely free. That's right, no charge, no obligations, just go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail to find out how you can implement my system in your business and start generating more leads through direct mail. Go check it out. It's absolutely free. I can't wait for you to try it. Honeywell and a couple other big yeah. companies try to recruit me, but I mean, I was just, I'm a broken employee at this point. You know what I mean? Two, <laughs> yeah. two three years into entrepreneurship, man, like you, you're, yeah, you're not, you're not fit for service. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for being here on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I'm happy to be here with you. I'm excited, as always, to bring you another high-quality guest. We had a great conversation. Uh, I spoke to Rafael Cortez. He is a primary, primarily a wholesaler, it sounds like. Uh, he does some fix and flip stuff too. He has other investments and other things that he's up to. Uh, he runs a brokerage, uh, so he does that traditional real estate uh, as well. But we talked primarily about wholesaling systems and processes, where he gets his list, the software that he uses to drive leads, pretty much everything that he does in his business, all of the different departments, who he hired, what they do, who they manage, why they manage that person, and all of the KPIs that he uh, uses to kind of keep it all together and to be moving forward successfully and to make good decisions in his business. It was a really, really information-packed show, and I'm excited to bring it to you. Uh, so without any further ado, I give you Raphael Cortez. All right, Raphael, man. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you doing this. It is a pleasure to have you here. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this will be a lot of fun uh, in doing some research here and kind of going through uh, some of my stuff, uh, just kind of looking into you and who you are, because we have not met before this. So I always like to right. try to get up to speed with people. So I'm not asking you know questions that were clearly answered in, in a bio or whatever on your <laughs> website and on your podcast. And you've got a lot going on. But um, I know that you are a, among other things, you're a lot of stuff, but among other things, you're a wholesaler and I'm a wholesaler. Right. So uh, it should be a fun conversation. I'd love to dig into your business. I know you're about automations, but I don't want to go too far ahead. Let's uh, spend just a minute real quickly kind of introducing yourself to the audience and who you are and where you come from and all that good stuff. Uh, well, I started real estate investments in 2009. I'm based out of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, now I own uh, multiple companies. One of them is a, a, a consulting company. I'm an organizational psychologist, so I do a lot of business uh, coaching, consulting on that side. Uh, I have my wholesale company where we also fix and flip. And then I own 
on a real estate brokerage. Uh, it's nice. all it's all based here in Phoenix. So in a nutshell, that's kind of like everything that I do, kind of you know compiled it into. Yeah, that's a lot too, because you're a youngish guy. You're not you're not fifty. I know that for sure. You're not nineteen, but you're somewhere in between, yeah. probably closer to nineteen <laughs> than fifty. I would guess. I'm I'm hitting forty this year. Actually, no so. way. You are really. Oh wow, you look super young, dude. I thought you were. I just got the impression you were way younger than that. Um, well, thank you. So yeah, that's a good thing, right? Uh, so organizational psychology, right? That's sort of like the thing that sticks out, like which one of these things are not like the others kind of thing. Um, I get how the brokerage and and wholesaling and fix and flip all kind of interweave, but how did the organizational psychology come about? Was that like your, was that your uh, career of choice early on? Was that what you went into right out of Um, school? No, actually I, I, my first career, uh, I was a firefighter. Okay. So at 19, I, I joined the fire department in Yuma, Arizona, and then um, I launched my first business when I was 21 years old. So my through my 20s, I was you know I it was I spent the whole time trying to build this uh, this medical transportation business, uh, okay. non-emergency you know type of stuff. And uh, during that time, I went back to to school uh, and I got my bachelor's in in applied management. So the next thing was just you know. To transition it to you know continue on with education right like okay yeah. cool I'll jump into a master's degree then I found out they had they actually I mean I wanted to study something that, that I enjoyed or that I was curious about I mean I really didn't really care for business management at that point anymore because I had the business and yeah. I had the other thing that I learned um, so I was like all right I'm gonna jump into psychology and and went through that general psychology and then I found out they had a um, this this thing called organization industrial organizational psychology where they yeah. mix business and psychology together. And so it's kind of like my two passions, right? Yep. Uh, so it was just no, no brainer after that. So at, um, at any point though, were you, okay, so man, you were moving fast at a young age. So you became a firefighter <laughs> and then you yeah. started this medical transportation company, which I guess right. is sort of, I don't, maybe loosely related or somehow you got the idea as a, as a firefighter and then industrial yeah, yeah. psychology at any point was your goal. I, I know the answer is probably no, but I'm going to ask anyway, at any point was your goal to go into a, a company or an industry and become an industrial psychologist, or were you doing this to sort of help your entrepreneurial efforts? Um, no, I mean, I, I kind of did it, um, unknowingly. Right. So I, I just, I was really focused in the business side of things and I wanted to fine tune. I, I just wanted to get better at business. Yeah. I mean, I figured, yeah. you know, the vehicle is one thing, right. You know, the, the nuts and bolts of the actual trade is one thing, but yeah. understanding business was different. I didn't have any, you know, any mentors and I wasn't paying for, you know, seminars and stuff like that. So I just yeah. went the traditional route, you know, first thing I could find. Um, and it did help. Um, but yeah, it was it wasn't uh, really uh, intended to to go. Uh, Honeywell and a couple other big yeah. companies tried to recruit me, but I mean, I was just I'm a broken employee at this point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Two, yeah. two, three years into entrepreneurship, man, like you're, you're yeah, you're not you're not fit for service. Yeah, <laughs> you become pretty unemployable. So yeah, in the nine to five, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so I want to go back to the firefighter thing for a minute. So you became a firefighter at 19. Was yeah. your goal ever? to just be a firefighter and, and retire as a firefighter? Was that ever the goal, even day one? Or did you always know you wanted to do something in business? The, uh, you, you know, I can't, I can't say that I had a lot of, um, a lot of foresight when I was, you know, 19 years old. I mean, it was just kind of like the, uh, I come from a whole, you know, small, small town. So it was either becoming a cop, a correctional officer, a real yeah. estate agent, or, or a firefighter. And I mean, yeah. You know, okay. So you picked one of the three. A lot more exciting. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I went, yeah. I went in there and I did love it. I mean, it's a great career. Um, but I, I felt like I wanted more 
after a couple of years in there, I just wanted to kind of, you know, test my own, my own waters per se. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, yeah. is, is this everything there is, or is there something else I can do? And then I started talking to one of my captains um, and he was an entrepreneur, right? He had a couple of businesses aside from being a captain at the firehouse. Okay. And he just kind of planted the seed in my head uh, of like, you know, what if we were doing something else with the other 24 hours that we have every other day? <laughs> like, oh, right. well, I mean, yeah, let's roll with that. So that's kind of how the, um, the, uh, first uh, business came about, uh, launched it. I, I relocated, moved to Phoenix and launched that. Eventually I had that for eight years and I sold it. Um, in the interim though, I started doing uh, real estate investments, uh, okay. you know, bought a flip, uh, you know, started fixing and flipping and, yep. and then I got into wholesaling after that. So I kind of started backwards there, but gotcha. <clears throat> no, I did it the exact same way. I was a house flipper for six years and then kind of switched to wholesaling. You know, that yeah. common, um, I think, I think it's a common misconception, but the common belief is that you start off as a wholesaler cause you don't need to know anything or have any knowledge or money or experience, or I'm being a little sarcastic. You don't have to know anything. You become a wholesaler, then you graduate to house flipper and then you graduate to multifamily and that's fine but that doesn't necessarily have to be the way i think wholesaling and flipping right. to me i see them as different but equal they're not one isn't a stepping stone to the other um yeah. so you started your medical transportation company i know you sold that at some point was it was it i know you're going to say you didn't pre-plan this and, and you probably didn't but did you start that company with the idea of selling it or did you just decide at some point all right i want to move on i don't want to run this business anymore the uh, I went through a lot of stuff in my twenties, especially while I was building this thing out. I mean, from everything from from you know trying to figure uh, you know how to trying to figure out how to build a company, right? And then you're being young. There's you know things that are there's going to be a lot of friction, especially yeah. when you're trying to break into stuff like government contracts and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I was so focused and in, in, in it and in, in you know in the, that hustle stage um, that there wasn't really a lot of. Um, brain you know uh bandwidth to to think you know five years ten years down the road right yeah. i just kind of wanted to get you know things rolling and i kept putting myself in tough spots you know how am i going to make payroll i'm hiring people i'm buying vehicles i'm expanding i'm yeah. you know scaling and doing all these things yeah. uh, just challenges that you know we're coming out of day to day so so it wasn't really the uh to me it was really a survival in my 20s were a survival stage they would last about three months right i was yeah. living on three month increments um so i mean that's really kind of what it what it was eventually it got a little bit more applied and, and started thinking okay uh i'm gonna sell the company because i'm not this is not enjoyable like mm. this can't be it i didn't leave a cool you know fire department job <laughs> to to not be happy and joyful right yeah uh, but that hit me and i don't know i was maybe 26 27 i started getting burned out um so that's when when that thought just kind of crossed my head and um, and then uh, I started planning for for the exit strategy. That's where where it you know really kicked in. Gotcha. It was years after I was I was already in it that okay I had to start running the business uh, in a way that it was sellable. Yeah, because I didn't have a sellable business at first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you have that philosophy now with business that you want to kind of think ahead and and make it sellable no matter what it is? I mean, I'm probably going to get a two of this, but it's it's um, hustle is a season. It's not a business strategy. Got it. Um, so I'm I'm a huge proponent in in business processes and systems, right? And and really building. Even if you're not thinking of franchising or thinking of selling or thinking, you know, of exiting your company. Yep. Um, building it that way though, because when you have that degree of clarity. Um, you have the ability to delegate and you have the ability to step out from, you know, from the business at right. this point, I'm running, uh, 
my, for example, my wholesale business is ran on 90 minute meetings from my time, right? The team is doing everything, but just, I, I spent years putting together systems and yep. processes and all that. So yeah. to, to get it to a point where it's delegatable, but yeah, you, we can't hustle forever. It's just not sustainable. Yeah. It's, it's not. I 100% agree. And I think that's why people think yeah. it's like wholesaling to flipping to maybe buy and holds to multifamily because the goal is passive. But I've always argued, and I, I would think that we're on the same page here. A business like wholesaling, which is considered to be traditionally considered to be hustling, right? You, it's an active business. You can build it in a way that it is passive, a lot like other businesses that are traditionally considered passive. I know mine is too. I run my business off of a 30-minute meeting and usually another hour total during the week where I have to deal with something or, or talk something yeah. through with my team. But my, my right now, I'm, you and I have a team that I think are probably buying and selling properties right now while we're right. talking, right? And so it can be very, very passive. It's just, it's not, <clears throat> it's not going to be passive day one. You have to build the systems and the processes, but it absolutely can be done. It's not necessarily, yeah. it's an active business, but it doesn't have to be your activity. It could be your team's activity. So exactly. You, I mean, you get to a point, uh, as entrepreneurs, I think we have the, um, the ability to, to empower, right? Yeah. If we empower the right people within our teams and then they have something to, to go off of, you set your, your parameters, right? You, you set your criteria or the stuff that you're going to put up with the yeah. degree of, of, of stuff that you're going to be putting up with. That's your systems. Uh, and, and you, you plug people into those, you know, those spots and they can roll with it. Right. Like they're going to, I mean, I'm telling you, I have people in my team that know way more about certain aspects of the business uh, than I do. And they're way better at, you know, that kind of stuff that I'm really not interested in, in, in you know, becoming an expert in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's very, it's very cool when you, when you start to see the results of, of an empowered, uh, you know, group of people around you. Yeah. Uh, let's take, take things to a whole nother level. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. You have a team that's running your business. What does it look like? What does your team consist of? Who, who do you have? What do they do? So I'll give you the 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 nuts and bolts, I guess, of the uh, organizational uh, structure. So I have this, you know, CEO. It's me. Uh, I have a director of operations. He's he's the person that buys my time back. Mm-hmm. Um, so he manages the the rest of the team, right? So I talk to him. We have operations meetings every couple of weeks, and and just strategize and kind of you know unkink the uh, you know whatever bottlenecks are happening. So I'm yep. still taking part of the business. It's not like I'm disconnected and yeah. and I'm off into the ether and not knowing what's <laughs> going on. It doesn't roll that way. Um, and but I have the ability to come in and then see everything from that fifty you know fifty thousand square foot view and then see different perspectives, different angles. What can we fine tune and tweak? And I love playing in that space. Yeah. Um, so that's a director of operations. Right underneath him, uh, we have three managers. One is a lead manager, lead gen manager, mm-hmm. and then I have acquisitions manager and then a dispositions manager. Um, and they have their own their own teams underneath them. But the managers. Uh, um, uh, report to the operations uh, director of operations gotcha. and we keep everything on track through, you know, KPIs and, and I'm a big scorecard guy, um, and accountability. I mean, when you have, um, checks and measures in place, like the, uh, the, the ability to keep everybody accountable, uh, is there the transparency of performance is there. Like yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. So, uh, you got these managers that have their teams uh, beneath them that they manage. So like your dispo guy or gal, whoever it is, right. manages, I assume, like a transaction coordinator, somebody who interfaces with title companies and that kind of stuff. Um, right. how, how big, do you know how big your team is total from top to bottom? Yeah, so we have we have a we go heavy into cold calling. So we do a lot of cold calling. Most of the team is going to be cold callers. Okay. Uh, we have eight uh, cold callers. They're in the Philippines. And my lead manager runs them. 
Okay. So she, they, re, they report to her. Um, and all the KPIs just kind of, you know, scale yep. up the chain, right? Yeah. Uh, so she manages them. My, uh, my acquisitions manager, uh, he has uh, two reps that he manages. Okay. So basically what's happening is we're sourcing leads. Uh, we're converting the leads into prospects. And then they get sent over to my acquisitions guy. And then he, uh, they're distributed between the three of them. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Aside from that, we have a transaction coordinator and then a dispo rep. Uh, that, uh, you know, um, my discipline manager, you know, okay. uh, on that so including your, that your operations guy, it sounds like you have like 14, 15 people total, yeah. including your yeah. Philippines people. Cold callers. Yeah. Yep. Uh, is that your main method of driving leads is cold calling? We we're having cold calling and then SMS right now, texting. Okay. You have to be, uh, you know, somewhat cautious on how you do it because you yep. have compliance and uh, compliance and all that stuff. Yep. Um, it's easier to get red flagged, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're, I think right now we're driving an average between 60 to 80 leads on a weekly basis mm -hmm. to the business. Okay. Um, and then we're converting around probably about 70, 72, 74% of those into prospects. So we have, a, we have enough shots yeah. uh, to take uh, for the three reps on a weekly basis. And then you add the follow-ups and all that stuff. So they usually have, you know, yeah. anywhere from 10 to 15 at least, yeah. uh, you know, conversations or, or meetings or appointments to, to handle on a daily basis. Yeah. Those follow-ups can start snowballing pretty oh, yeah. fast, right? Yeah, um, brother. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you 70% of, of the deals that I've ever locked, it, it's, you know, they're coming from follow-ups. For sure. Do the, do the folks in the Philippines handle the SMS stuff also? Um, my lead manager does. Okay. He or she does yeah, and we all keep that. that throttled just because it's one of those, you know, touchy yeah. mm -hmm. um, methods of, of marketing. So we try to keep it civil and we'll send out, I think we're sending out maybe 2,500 text messages a day. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I think we're getting last KPIs for last week. I think we got about 20, 24 leads from, from that. Okay. Um, and then the rest were cold calling. And so we have some Facebook ad campaigns that, that we're running and, and and all that. So, but the, the two core um, elements of marketing in in our company, it's cold calling and then SMS. Gotcha. And I assume cold calling drives the majority of the deals, or yeah. is it like heavily? A little, okay, that's what I figured. That's most people I talk to. It's SMS is good. It's supplementary. It's not where yeah, you. It's not your bread and, and butter necessarily. And I made a mistake, and yeah, a while back. I mean, a few months back, where where I went really really heavy into cold calling, or mm -hmm. I'm sorry, um, SMS, okay, text messaging. And um, and then they they really just choked it when it came to red flags and and the carriers got you know smarter about keywords and whatnot yeah and it just halted our lead generation uh, and I'm telling you I mean I mean I spent I think maybe a month and a half trying to fix that stuff okay um, and still go at the same volume yeah and it wasn't working so our, our leads really took a hit yeah um, went back and then just hired a bunch of people on cold calling like I was doing before and and that's sustainable right like yep. that's if you want longevity in marketing have that and then add you know, additional bolt on pieces like SMS, yeah. uh, Facebook ads, Google, you know, ads or whatever. But, gotcha. Um, yeah. Okay. Who do you use? If you don't mind my asking and you, if you don't want to tell me, you don't have to, but I assume you do your real estate coach too. Uh, your SMS company, who do you use for that software? So we are, uh, right now we're using, um, launch control, launch control. Yeah. I've heard yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. Launch control for, for SMS. Okay. Um, that's what we use for, for SMS for data. Uh, we use batch leads. That's where we pull the data that we're gonna, you know, cold call and, okay. and uh, yeah. send out. Are you using like a power dialer or something, like yeah. Mojo or something to, to uh, dial? Up? We started with Mojo and then we transitioned through a couple of different ones. Right now, what we're using works very well is ZenCall. Yeah, that's what or it, ready mode. Yeah, ready yeah, mode. yeah. Right, it's called ready mode now. Is that did they change it? Yeah, yeah. So, so the folks that I know that are doing primarily cold calling are using that. That's exactly what they're using. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's so, good software. And, and I like, I don't know, I geek out on, on stats, but if you're using per seat, right, this is what we're seeing. So per seat, we expect if you have a cold caller, um, we have, uh, we expect 400 calls a day through the Zen call seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, 400 calls a day. Uh, they got to be having, I think, the connection rate for Zencall and just based off of data that we're pulling off of batch leads. So we, we, we're very methodical in the stuff that we collect. That way the KPIs make sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll switch to like one element or one factor at a time just to kind of keep, keep sure. gauge of what's working. So anyways, but we're pulling uh, data from batch leads. Uh, we're calling through Zencall and the, com- the connection rate is 82%. Wow. So. So yeah, that's a connection rate. I mean, it's pretty high for cold calling. Pretty high. You keep it, yeah, keep it clean. So out of that, we have um, the we we got to end up with three leads, uh, two to three leads a day on average. So that's what we're looking for from the uh, cold calling team. So batch leads gives you phone numbers, I assume, or do you have to go out and yeah. skip trace those? Yeah, okay. Batch, yeah, with batch skip tracing, the same. Yeah, same company. They have a, a couple of different verticals. Gotcha. Um, I've never used them. I, I'm not aware of that. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're solid when it comes to data. Okay. Their their match rate is pretty high. Nice. Um. Yeah. So I mean, those are kind of like the stats that we look for uh, through uh, through ready mode. Do you, um, do you track or do you coach your people to like call times? Like how long, do you know how long on average they're spending on the phone with a lead? Uh, yeah, we'll run back and get reports at the end of the day. Like you have, so you have key, you have key performance indicators and then you have navigators, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the call time is going to be a navigator. It's not really a KPI because you can throttle yeah. that and it can be a lagging indicator and whatnot. But, but, uh, I mean, we just go off of KPIs where there's a minimum, you know, there's a minimum standard or there's a standard that we have in place, right? Yeah. 400 connections. We know that if you're, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, productive, you're going to be able to have, you know, 80 connect 82%. So our, the, the metric that we call for is actually 80, but mm. the average is 82%. Um, and then just end up with, uh, um, uh, two to three leads on a, on a regular basis, like every uh, per seat a day. Right. Gotcha. So that's what we're looking for. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and it just becomes a lot more manageable than than micromanaging, for example, times. And yeah. you only called for seven hours and 45 minutes as opposed to eight. Yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah. Sort of yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's smart. I think having KPIs and tracking this stuff makes it so much easier to manage and for people okay. to understand if they're successful or if they're being successful yeah. in your system based on what you expect of them. So it's it's yeah. very, you sound like you're, you're using language that that makes me think that perhaps you're using traction. Is that is that something that you use or is it something other than that that you're using to kind of run your business? No, so so I have, um, uh, yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been following track or I've been doing traction forever, right? Yeah. Uh, but to that, I added a, a couple of different systems and it's actually part of the organizational psychology practice when we get oh. into the business aspect of things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you you understand traction and all those things at a, at a deeper level just because you know where, where it's coming from. Yeah. Cool side note, I just had a Gino Wigman on, on the podcast too. I mean, I was super nice. stoked about that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I had him on my podcast about a year and a half ago. Awesome. Awesome episode. He's a really fun interview. Yeah. He's a good guy. He's a really good yeah. guy. Um, yeah. yeah, he's awesome. So talk, let's talk a little bit about that. How do you run, what kind of systems are most important or you have found to be more, most valuable looking back? Like, what are you glad that you started doing? And, and what are some of those systems that you hold as, as being part of the reason for your success? Um, I think understanding the, uh, the stages of, I mean, and if we go into wholesaling, right. Um, understanding the stages of, of a deal is, is, is big. Right. And uh, yeah, I take that and I apply it back into, you know, had the transportation business, there were different stages in that business as well. Um, uh, but understanding where the stage is going and being able to, to just 
create a, a, a systematic approach. I mean, the thing that makes the most sense to me um, ever is really the, you know, the Ford assembly line, right? If you, if you have the ability to put something together in a linear fashion, now think about this. Psychologically, we're not wired uh, to think linear. Uh, we're, we're dynamic beings. Our thoughts are all over the place and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But when, you get, when we get routed um, and, um, and we have the ability to clarify step one, step two, step three, like that's huge, right? So yeah. when you bring that into a business, uh, like wholesaling where things can be messy uh, or just real estate in general, right? And, yeah. and you have the ability to segment those. Uh, it's really a game changer. So that's when I, when I, when that hit me and I, I broke, I broke it down into six different stages, um, just the way that I run my business. But that to me was a big, big, um, just, you know, game changer when it came to delegation, when it came to having the clarity of what roles I'm going to hire for, uh, what accountability to keep up and then finding the bottlenecks of the business as I'm going through you know, any transaction. So. Now you said you broke it down into six stages. What are those stages? Mm, number one is going to be sourcing. So we have, we don't call it marketing or anything. It's just sourcing sellers. Okay. So um, that's where the cold calling comes in, where SMS comes in, pay-per-click, you know, any, any, any um, lead generation activities are happening there. So basically what that is for us is somebody raises their hand, they're interested in an offer. Boom, they're sourced. Yep. There's no pre-qualification or anything else. From that point, they get sent over to my lead manager she has a deeper conversation with them and she's converting them into prospects. So we source to leads and then we convert to prospects. Okay. And uh, I mean, that's a whole discovery conversation that's happening. It's taking care, uh, you know, taking place there. She keeps them on follow-up campaigns and, and actual follow-ups and, and, you know, that sort of thing until they get ready because we pre-qualify based on four things, condition, timeline, motivation, and price. Um, so when, when they're ready to move forward, now a prospect, you know, they, they, they have, you know, three things in there that match that we can have a conversation on, then they go to acquisitions, uh, and that's stage three, right? So first one is sourcing, two is converting, three is acquisitions. Um, and that's where really like the, the, the bread and the potatoes of the whole thing happened. That's, you have deeper discovery conversations, the real problem that's happening. How can we come in and solve it? Uh, of course you start negotiating numbers and that sort of thing. Uh, the one, thing to do there is, is lock up the contract, get a signature. Um, and then of course goes on over to Dispo. And, and the, the crazy thing, Mike, is that most deals or most wholesale companies stop at the Dispo stage. They get that settlement statement, they get it, you know, wired in, they have the money in the funds and then boom, they go back to, okay, let's find another seller. Yep. Um, and, and I think uh, you're, you're missing a lot of the, uh, the gold that can be extracted from any business, right? Because uh, when you track, which is measuring, that's the fifth one. Okay. Uh, when you measure your 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 efforts, um, you have the ability to know what happened, right? Okay, where did we, you know, where are we doing good? What are the KPIs? What do we need to do on a regular basis mm-hmm. to reverse engineer this this result that we're trying to get to? Uh, and then the sixth one is an improvement stage. So we actually have sessions on on especially in the managers meeting and operations meeting, where we talk about just deals that are outside of the niche. Okay, this one was a little different. That was a commercial deal, or that was a land deal that gave us you know seventy eight, eighty thousand dollars. What did we do right on that deal? Yeah. Um, what can we turn into a process, or can we just build into the SOP standard operating procedures? Um, and how can we just you know make the uh, the the whole flow you know better? So it's it's six stages that uh, really paint the picture for me in my head. Okay. If I, I know that if I'm, I need to come up with some training or something, I know which section it's going to go into. Yeah. Again, it's sourcing, it's conversion, acquisitions, dispo, uh, measuring and improving. So nice. those are the, the six. Um, and the, the cool thing about having something like that in place, and I used a similar model in my brokerage. 
Uh, and I use a similar model for for even my my coaching and and social media stuff. So it's I mean it's pretty interesting. But yeah, the cool thing is that you can fi- you can you you find out like where your bottlenecks are, yeah. where your areas of deficit uh, are, and it's not just this one cluster of, of information all over the place. So you can actually pinpoint. Okay, cool. Uh, we don't have enough deals to dispo. Okay, what uh, do we have enough deals that made it over to acquisitions? The answer is yes. Uh, then there's something going on in acquisitions. We're not right. lacking enough. Is that a training thing? Is it a, an attitude thing? Yeah. Um, if we don't have enough deals that made it to acquisitions, okay, did we have enough leads get converted to prospects? So you go, you keep going one step back, right? Yeah. Um, but you're able to figure out where the bottlenecks are. Yeah. Anyways, just you know, running running like like a, like a business. It took me a while to to come to terms with the uh, uh, actually get like get that chip on my shoulder that said I, I, I was a hustler and and it felt you know that. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's not sustainable, right? Yeah, I, and, and really start thinking as an entrepreneur. It's it takes a it takes a pivot. It takes a mind shift. I love it. What do you tell people? Because uh, I know you talk to folks a lot. What do you tell people that that say the market's too hot? There's nobody selling at a discount. You can't wholesale in this environment. What do you tell people? Um, I mean, the first case study would be us. We we're in Maricopa <laughs> County, which is Phoenix. Uh, it's one of the most competitive markets. I mean, there's there's so many wholesalers here. There's gurus. There's, I mean, just about, yeah, it's guru central and, and, <laughs> and everybody's just, you know, uh, making offers and whatnot. We still get on average about 12 deals a month. Okay. Um, in the Valley. So, and that's, again, it's, it's an operation that's, you could, could, could scale it if I plugged more people into that sourcing stage, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a good number, right? It's a good, healthy number for me, but the deals are out there. Uh, if you can do this in a, in a market as competitive as Phoenix, uh, trust me, you're going to be able to do it in, in other markets. Yeah. I have, you know, students that crush it in ATL and, and, you know, um, Florida, California, it's just, it's, just, it's about doing, taking action and then really giving it enough time to work. People yeah. do this for, I don't know, four weeks, right? And they haven't gotten a deal. And now, you know what, this is, yeah. this is, this is crap. Doesn't this work. doesn't work. I'm right. Like, yeah. Exactly. All right. So you're getting 12 deals a month on average. Uh, you're cold calling them. We established that. What, it, who are you cold calling? What's the criteria? Um, everybody and their mom, actually. So, <laughs> but so, you're not just opening, you know, you're not, you're not, yeah. you're not cold calling no, so everybody. Have, I mean, there's gotta yeah, be a criteria. Have, we have, um, uh, I mean, we have big, massive campaigns going on, right? And 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 uh, what I mean, you can dial the the leads if you're if you're looking for, for example, like a niche out le- uh, list. Um, one thing to consider: every time you plug in a cold caller to an operation, you have to make sure you have enough data behind that. You mm-hmm. have to make sure that there's enough, you know, supporting material to help that person sure. succeed, right? Yeah. Um, uh, with that being said, uh, when we were when we started doing just adding people to the cold calling, we would get niche style campaigns. And, and yeah, I mean, we went for the traditional stuff, vacant stuff, um, absentee owners. One list that I really like um, is it's code violations list. Mm-hmm. They're just um, harder to get a hold of. Uh, they usually, you know, they you, you you won't find them online, or, or that's why they work. Um, yeah. But if you go to, for example, your to your city department of works and and public works, they'll give you. Um, uh, a lot of them, most of them will give you a close violation list. You have to be a little nice to the ladies and, and you know, at the office and, and that sort of thing, but they'll give it to you. And oftentimes it's just going to be like in PDF format, but these are people who have code violations on their property. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, grass that hasn't been mowed. It's, uh, you know, roofs that need to be fixed and they got a, no- a notice from the city. Yeah. And that's been a very profitable, profitable list for us. I mean, we get that on a regular basis. We go through a process of actually putting it into a spreadsheet, then skip tracing. Uh, well, I don't, but we have the, I do. Sure. Um, and and it's a it's a really good 
uh, niched out uh, a list to go after. Another list that we like, it's um, um, we'll still do pre-foreclosure stuff just in, in a, like that's the only campaign that we'll do direct mail for. Okay. Um, just because niched out, but we like 60 day lates. If you go to your title agency, a lot of times they can give you a list of 60 day lates, uh, meaning people who are 60 day late on their mortgage. So they haven't hit that 90 mark. So they're, they're having, you know, there's no notice of pre-foreclosure going on. So not, yeah. You know, they're still not, the masses are not on top of them. Uh, but those are indicators, right? They're headed that way. Uh, so 60 day late list is a really good one. And you get that um, from a title company? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, we do uh, for that, I think uh, we have Fidelity. We pull those from Fidelity National uh, Title in, in, in Phoenix. And, and okay. Fidelity is all over the place. So they might be. Yeah. Um, yeah. A good contact. Nice. So yeah, I mean, those two lists are really good. Um, the. Um, what we do, uh, and if if you take a look, I I, I love the the batch fam- family of services they have. They're just really good, uh, but they have a service called Batch Leads. And what you do is you add all your lists in there, and um and you start stacking them. So for example, if you have yeah. a code violation list, if you have um yeah I don't know tax default list, absentee owner list, right now you have three or four or five lists. You throw them all into this the software that they have, and it'll just compile all the information in there and tell you like, hey, listen. Johnny Joe is on three of these lists. Yeah, he's in now trouble. Now you know that's yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now you have three pain points, right? Because if you think about it, every single list that we pull is a pain point. Yep. Um, when we're pulling an absentee owner list, that's a pain point. Well, we're you know pulling a foreclosure list, that's a pain point, right? Yeah. So I don't know. We stack them and then we'll do campaigns based on um, you know who's got the most. Like we, I think we go to a six plus. So six lists we begin at six plus wow so people who are in six lists or more and then run through that and then five lists or more um gotcha you know. yeah six lists you are a bona fide disaster your life is out of control yeah. if you're on six yeah. of these and, niche lists and it's I, insane yeah we have i think we have about close to 11 or 1.1 million record 1.2 million records in there at this point right just because we compile yeah. the data and we keep throwing everything in there um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we just dropped a campaign. I think we, we started that one in March or February, but that was a six plus list. And then we just kind of progressively kept, you know, dialing it back. I think right now we're at the three plus campaign. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, we already hit those, you know, those people. Nice. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. And that's getting you 12 deals a month on average. That's awesome. I mean, that's yeah. huge. That's, that's like you said, you're in Phoenix, right? It's competitive yeah. as, as all get out. So there's no excuse, right? For anybody. Yeah. I, I, I think the, the market excuse is a weak one. It's just somebody looking for a reason to not take action, honestly, because you're, you're talking to people that are on these niche lists and they have life events that are happening, right? They're like behind yeah. on mortgage. Their, their house is out of control and the city's all over them. Like these problems are, are, irrespective of whatever market you're in, these things happen all the time. And people who we buy from, and I say we, I mean, you you and I as wholesalers, they're not looking to get top dollar for their house or we wouldn't be able to buy them. These are people who have bigger problems and getting their house sold represents solving problems. And it's not always yeah. about getting all the money that they can possibly get. And you know, a lot of wholesalers like you and I, I talk to are afraid that they're going to list it and I won't get the deal because they're going to list it. We go in and just say, hey, why, why don't you list on the MLS? That's You'll get more money, right? And you just throw it yeah. out there, get that big elephant you know, that's in the room out there 
there and they'll tell you why they can't. And they'll say, oh, I, I, I tried. My realtor said my house is in bad shape or I got to sell by the end of the month or whatever it is, right? Yeah. So they'll basically tell you what you can come back and remind them of at the end of this conversation when you're talking price and they're like, oh, I think I can get more. Yeah, I, I told you, you should put on the MLS, right? Well, you, but you can't do that because you need to be out by the end of the month. And so, you know, people who use the economy or the president or the market as an excuse, it's just they're looking for a way out. <clears throat> so you can do this in any in, in any market. I've done it in up and down markets. And I know people that have been this a lot longer than I have. And they've been wholesaling for a lot longer than I have. And they, they've yeah. done it in every single market. So it all works, man. I, I could talk to I you agree. about this all day. I, I think you're a smart guy. You obviously have systems in place. I love when I talk to wholesalers or people that understand wholesaling can be passive, just like any other form of investing, if you build your team and if you build it to sell, basically, right? Um, if people want to find you uh, online or anywhere else, how can they find you? How should they do that? Uh, I'm very active on social. I drop a lot of content, uh, videos and, and YouTube and and on wholesaling, on mindset, on just op- entrepreneurship. And that's Rafael Cortez, CEO. That's my YouTube channel. Okay. Um, Rafael Cortez, CEO. And then same thing for Instagram. Instagram and Facebook and all the rest is Rafael, at Rafael Cortez, CEO. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And go check out uh, the website of the same name, right? RafaelCortez.net. Is that what uh, it is? No, it's uh, the um, actually we have if you want to you know information for about wholesaling whatnot. It's uh, reiwholesaling.com. Reiwholesaling.com. Got it. All right, man, Rafael. I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate you being on the show. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate the transparency. I asked you some very specific questions about software and lists and things, and I know I, I've had people on where it makes them a little uncomfortable and they hesitate. You just you just plowed right in and told me exactly what you're doing, and that's cool. I can't even thank you enough for that. Yeah. No, no, not a problem, man. That's that's paid for, right? Exactly. Get go-giver. <laughs> exactly. Listen, go check Raphael out on social. Go to his website and uh, go get involved in his world. He's a smart guy. You will be glad you did and your business will be better for having plugged into him and his processes and systems. Raphael, thanks for being on the show, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mike. All right, man. Thank you. All right. That was a lot of fun. He really, really dished. I asked him some very specific questions about where he's getting leads, the kind of list, all that stuff. And he just threw it out there. And uh, sometimes I ask those questions. I'm not sure how specific people are going to get. And sometimes they don't get specific. They kind of avoid and navigate around carefully. But uh, Raphael went right for it and told us exactly what list he's using, what software he's using, what his KPIs are. It's very cool. It's very helpful, obviously, for you guys listening. And it makes the interview way more uh, fun for me as well. So hopefully you guys will take that information and apply it to your business and use it to get better. Uh, But you have to use it, which means you have to be doing something. So if you're sitting on the sidelines, now's the time to get off the sidelines. And if you want to find out some other ways where you can get leads, uh, Raphael uses um, cold calling and direct mail is another really great way to do it. And if you want to find out how to do direct mail and do it successfully, go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. That's mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. I have a free, free video series for you. Go check it out. Learn how to do it. But in any case, guys, do something. Get out there and make today the best day. We'll talk to you next time.